Welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Jared Saavedra. We are in a special message this morning just for Mother's Day, and we'll be in kind of a passage in a, in a book that we've kind of lingered in a while since we've been talking about the resurrection for this past few weeks, but we'll be in John chapter 19. The title of my message is Mary's Great Honor. John chapter 19 is where we will be, and I'm going to turn there myself as you make your way as well. So, Mother's Day. It's, it's kind of one of those days where you... It, it's codified in some way that your appreciation for mom or for the mothers in your life. And, you know, I, I often tell my wife who's, you know, we're having our, our second daughter in June. And I always tell her, you're such a good mom. You're such a good mom. Or, you know, I tell her, you're such a good mama because I'm used to saying mama around the house. And I think Mother's Day is just a way in which we can materially like manifest, hey, it's objectively true, you're a good mother, here's a whole day for you. And, and it's a good thing to, to celebrate mothers, because we know that um, even as I prayed, it's, it's a great honor, and it's a great blessing, and it's a great joy to be a mother. It's a calling from the Lord, and it's commended by the Lord, as we'll see in this passage today. But it's also, you know, it, it comes with it comes with distress sometimes, and it comes with a, a distress in general. And I was reading a statistic, it was from a few years ago, but it was talking about how millennial mothers especially, about 85% of millennial mothers really just want to be told, they're, they're, they feel a little bit insecure in their motherhood, and they just want to be told that they're, they're doing a good job. And I think mo most of that comes, and you know, we can speculate on, on why they feel that way, but I think a lot of that comes from you know, mothers maybe comparing themselves to what they see on TV or, or in the culture or on social media. I think in, in many ways, you know, seeing an example of a good mother is an encouragement to, to say, I can strive after that. But a lot of times, um, looking at a specific, oh, a very good mother or something like that, or even Mary in, in the passage that we're going to uh, read, the mother of Jesus, an, an archetypal mother looking at that, it almost can be kind of discouraging to say, I'll, I'll never be in that. And so... Uh, that's whom we're going to talk about today is, is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And I think in general, as, as I was even looking at uh, this particular passage in John chapter 19, I was thinking about how hard it is to talk about Mary in, in that context. Because, you know, she is the almost like untouchable, the incomparable mother. She's the one who was a virgin and had... Jesus conceived by the Holy Spirit and brought him forth, the Messiah into the world. It's like... Is she even relatable? Can I even learn anything from her? And I think part of that is because, yeah, we, we maybe feel it's our own perception that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is somewhat unrelatable to us. Like, her problems are so unique, but I think it's also so, partly because, and I think particularly in the Catholic tradition, that Mary's so revered, and I think it's too revered. You know, you can search uh, online, and there's so many uh, prayers to Mary, and, you know, that's, that's wrong. You know, we, we believe that, Christ is our, is our only intercessor. We pray directly to Christ. Um, but I think for that reason, it's kind of jumbled in our heads. Nevertheless, I do believe we can learn a lot from her life, 
her devotion to the Lord, her suffering, and most particularly a, a specific event that occurred in her life and in her uh, uh, faith journey, we might call it, in John chapter 19. So we're going to read a short passage. It's actually only three verses um, of, of oh, kind of a familiar scene. And let me start reading this here in John chapter 19, starting in verse 25. might be just a page over from where you are. Verse 25 says this, uh, so the, the context is Jesus is hanging on the cross and, and the scene is showing us that the soldiers are getting his garments and they're dividing it up among themselves. And it's just this great humiliation for Christ who is being crucified and dying right here. And John, the author of this gospel, tell, tells us who is standing at the cross, at the foot of the cross, looking at Jesus in verse 25. But standing at the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold, your son Verse 27, then he said to the disciple, behold, your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. So that's the passage we're going to spend the rest of our time in today and kind of unpack what exactly is happening in this event it's a scene with which a lot of us are probably already acquainted. This is that, that picture of, you know, there's, there's four people on the cross, and then there's also John. So there's four women at the cross, and then there's John. And, and Jesus is telling them something. And the rest of our message are, is, but I'm going to spend some time looking at what he's saying and what it really means. And so, really, a, a, Jesus gives only a few statements from the cross and they're very all profound. And he reserves a few of them that are recorded for us in Scripture, referring to his mother. And, and they're, they're parting commands and an exhortation specifically to Mary, his mother, and to John, that identified here as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so today, we're going to kind of glean from this passage um, a couple things, and namely how Jesus honors and commends motherhood, and specifically Mary herself, but we're also going to look at Mary's own journey of faith and devotion to God, and eventually, if, if, uh, if my feeble attempt is, is good, understanding how she reached her true identity in Christ, in faith. And so, I, first of all, I want to identify a couple things that are happening in this passage. Number one, that Jesus provides to her his mother's care. And number two, and that we'll look at um, in a bit, that Jesus prepares his kingdom. Jesus is preparing his kingdom in this. So, first of all, let's look at what's happening here that Jesus is providing for his mother's care. That is really what's, what's happening in here. If you look at the end result of John, understanding what Jesus is saying... And taking Mary, his mother, who, who, who was not John's own mother, and bringing her home and taking care of her. So Jesus provides for his mother's care. Something is being signaled in this passage, and it's particularly that Mary's role as the earthly mother of Christ. Her role, uh, her, her relationship with Christ, with Jesus, as, as her son, is kind of coming to an end. It's coming to a head, a completion. And this event really kind of signals a, a, 
a turn in Mary's life. But not only that, I think a turn for all of history. It's a really significant moment. And I think something about motherhood and, and that I've recognized, you know, with, with my own wife is that, you know, motherhood, it's, it kind of just never stops. You know, I can clock out of work, you know, after a day. But, you know, motherhood for, for Alyssa, it just never stops. It goes on and on and on. And there's always something to do and clean. But I think for Mary, kind of her, her role as mother kind of stops at this point. It, it completes and so we're going to kind of learn about this. And to be honest, it's who could even understand like what, what Mary could have gone through? Who could even relate it to her in this moment that she brought forth Christ, the Messiah, and now she's looking at him, enduring this great suffering and, and trying to make sense of, of what's going on and what her role is. And so we have to acknowledge, first of all, as we, as we look at the life and the faith of Mary, that she was in very unique circumstances. So we're going to look at some of these very unique circumstances, first of all, as we look at her journey of faith. So number one, um, just on, on Mary in general and how she came to be the mother of Jesus, is number one, we should remember that Mary found favor with God. This is found in, in passages um, that we often read around Christmas time. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 30, we see an angel telling Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And the news he was bringing to Mary was that she was going to give birth to Messiah, that a child was going to be conceived in her womb, not through sexual relations with a man, but through the Holy Spirit. It was going to be a miracle. And so... Mary was, was finding favor with God. As I, as I mentioned earlier, some people maybe make too much of Mary herself and act as though she were sinless and as though she were worthy of some kind of reverence. And to be certain, she was a sinner. She was not perfect. She was not sinless. She was a sinner just like the rest of us. But we do have to acknowledge, yes, she found unique favor with God to miraculously carry and give birth to the Son of God. Of God, So in this way, her, her role was so precious to God, and it was a great blessing to be the mother of the Messiah. But Mary, in her own faith, in her life of faith, she did not turn inwardly and conclude, oh, I must be so great. I'm the mother of the Messiah. I deserve reverence. But rather, if we look at the passage in Luke chapter 1, she answered really that God is the one who is great. And so secondly, not only um, does, number one, Mary find favor with God, but number two, her, her unique circumstances, Mary was also completely devoted to God. She, she was a person who, who loved the Lord and called herself, in Luke chapter 1, verse 38, she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And with these words, she gives her whole life in service to the Lord, understanding that, yes, from from not knowing specifically, but from when Jesus was one and born, or a newborn to age 30, that he was going to be under her care, and she was going to be her, his mother. And then also, in addition, in Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 47, she is a model of worship even for us in her devotion, when she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Even as she 
is blessed by God in this case, she still recognizes that she needs a Savior. And so she praises God who is her Savior. But her devotion to the Lord in these particular circumstances led to peculiar suffering for her. So number three, Mary also experienced great suffering. Yes, motherhood in general, it's, it's full of distress. Sometimes it's full of anxieties for your kids. Are they going to be safe? Am I doing things right? But, but Mary's experience, just think how, how her experience was. It really it wasn't without pain. When God gave her this blessing, and it was a blessing objectively, it was not smooth sailing for her. Her experience and her devotion to God did bring her a lot of suffering and pain. I mean, of course, there's the obvious pain of childbirth in the first century for Mary. There is, you know, first century life. But also remember that there is, after she gave birth to Jesus, Herod, who was the king of that, that region, wanted to kill all the children born in that area. So an angel told him to flee and they fled to Egypt. Can you imagine having to travel and doing this way and, and being under that kind of persecution? But there was also a, a point of peculiar pain in Mary's life that was prophesied to her by a man named Simeon in Luke chapter 2, verses 34 through 35. It reads this, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fallen rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. A lot of people look at this passage and, and see, oh, this must have been, you know, the sword that pierces through her own heart would be something like we're reading about in Luke chapter 19, where Mary is looking upon the Lord crucified and thinking, this is my son. What kind of suffering would that would have been? But I, I think Simeon is talking about something kind of bigger and kind of more intense. And I think it was the, the painful route by which she would recognize Christ as her Savior rather than just simply her Son. Because it seems, given the, the context and, and other places where, where Luke tells us, Mary experienced, it seems like, doubts and, and moments of exasperation, understanding who Jesus was going to be and how that was intention to maybe her own expectations of what Jesus would be like as her son. And so for, for all this, though, for, for Mary's great blessing and for her devotion to the Lord and, and for her suffering, for, for Mary's motherhood, we see in this passage of John chapter 19 that, number four, Jesus honored Mary. Jesus honored Mary. Jesus was sinless. You know, he would have been the perfect son. But not only does Christ being sinless mean that, you know, as a child, even as a teenager, as, as an adolescent, and as a 20-something, he never did anything stupid, he never sinned, but that also meant that he fulfilled in every way God's law, God's righteousness. Not only that he refrained from doing wrong things, but that he always did the right thing. And I think we can learn a lot from his example in particular on how he honored Mary in this case and how he honored in general his father and his mother. He fulfilled really the commandment that's given to us in Exodus chapter 20 verse 12. You are all familiar with it. It's simply honor your father and mother. Jesus honored that commandment and he fulfilled that commandment and he perfected that commandment. But as I, as I mentioned before, it's 
Jesus, you know, we might think, oh, you know, that's, that's easy for him to do. You know, he's Jesus, and, you know, he had Mary, you know, and she was, you know, a really good mother. But really understand that Jesus' parents were sinners, just like all of our parents are, are sinners. And at times, even though she was devoted, as I mentioned, Mary did express frustration as she began, yes, to feel the tension of Jesus' calling as the Messiah over against what she perceived as maybe his family obligations. Such a moment is recorded for us in Luke chapter 2, where they're going to Jerusalem for the Passover, and, and, and Mary and Joseph, his, you know, his adoptive, Jesus' adoptive father, are leaving, and they figure Jesus is with someone else, and Jesus is about 12 years old at this time. And they can't find him eventually. He's lost. And they, they come back to Jerusalem and he's in the temple kind of debating the scholars and doing these things. And Jesus, Mary is frustrated. And she says, why are you doing this? Aren't like kind of in a, in a first century way saying like, are you trying to give your dad and me a heart attack? And Jesus kind of gently rebukes her and says, aren't you, don't you know I'm supposed to be about my father's business? And in, in this moment here, we see even in that passage, when they're frustrated with Jesus, in Luke chapter 2, verse 51, we're told nonetheless that Jesus went home with them and was submissive with them. And then a few verses later, we're told that he grew in favor, not only with God, but with man. So Jesus, by all accounts, was a great son. He was submissive. He was, he was obedient. He was kind. He never sinned. He never did anything wrong. And not only did he exemplify that in living his life, but he also taught us and, and the, his disciples at the time to honor our father and mother in, in all practices. And he was really, uh, he had choice words for people who would, under the pretense of maybe living some kind of spiritual life, devoting ourselves to God, would neglect their parents. In Matthew chapter five, fifteen verses 5 through 7, he talks about the, the role that tradition has taken almost to supersede God's law. And he says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 5, he says, But you say, if anyone tells his mother or his father what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. And so he kind of excoriated the teaching in that time. It was like, oh, you know what, Dad, I was going to give you this. I was going to take care of you in your old age. But you know what? What I had to give you, I gave to God. So I don't really owe you anything. And Jesus was like, why wouldn't you take care of your parents? You're, you're being a hypocrite. And so he practiced this. He taught this. And by all accounts, you know, before he began his earthly ministry, Jesus worked in his household. He, he provided for his household, namely. We're told that he was a carpenter. But Jesus, of course, had a calling from God when he started his ministry at age 30, which resulted really in distancing himself from his natural family and enduring suffering and eventually culminating in what he was called to do by God in the first place, which was to die on a cross and to suffer for our sins, for the sins of the world. This was his calling. And so Jesus effectively concludes his own role as her son and kind of takes on a very specific role that we'll, we'll talk about um, in, in just a moment. But he replaces himself essentially as a role of the son with his disciple John right here. And so we can tell that 
John understands it as a command by what he ends up doing in verse 27. And from that hour, the disciple John took her to his own home. So he was saying to his mother, behold your son, not addressing himself, but saying, behold your son, addressing John and saying, he will take care of you right here. At which point, when when we're seeing this happening, we must ask ourselves, why exactly is Jesus doing this? Like, is this sort of like a last will and testament for Jesus that, oh, I'm, I'm going to the cross Like, because we know, I mean, those of us who have read the story, we know he will rise again from the dead. Is he particularly anxious or worried? Oh, my mother won't get the care, so I better find someone trustworthy and and entrust her into this care. But it's here we must really refocus our gaze of faith on the the true subject of the story. And it's really not not Mary herself, but, but it's Christ. And in kind of relinquishing his role as her earthly son, he was taking on essentially a new role as exemplified by him hanging on a cross. Because he was suffering and dying on the cross, he would eventually rise again. And in all this, what he was doing was taking on the fullness of his role as intercessor and as high priest. Hebrews Chapter 8, verses 1 through 3 says this, We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty of heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. And so, what Jesus is doing here is taking on his true role by which he would, could address the, the true needs that everyone has. Not temporary needs to take care of Mary, but spiritual needs to take care of her soul, to forgive her sins. In so much that he was transitioning from being Mary's son and calling her and the disciples and anyone who would listen to look upon him as not simply someone's son, but the Savior of the world so that we might look on him in faith and be forgiven of our sins, and and benefit from His atonement for our sins, and His righteousness that He offers those who would have faith in Him. So the second thing that we should observe in this passage is that Jesus prepares His kingdom. In this moment, it's kind of a transitional moment in which we see a new reality that's taking place, that he wasn't just simply Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter's son, but he was Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world and intercedes for his people before the throne of God. As Jesus is commanding and exhorting his mother Mary and the disciple John, notice that he tells them, behold. He tells Mary, behold your son, referring to John, and then he tells John, Behold your mother, referring to Mary. And by saying behold, he's simply saying see, like look look at this. And he's not commanding them to see something that's patently untrue because, you know, John was not physically or or literally Mary's son. But, and and the the side note, there is some indication that John was actually Mary's um, nephew. But in giving this command, really he's 
not only giving the direction and care for our mother's his, his mother's practical needs like we had just read, but he's kind of relaying the deeper spiritual truths of what is going to unite them in a particular relationship, meaning that specifically their uniting factor, what they have in common is that they both are or will be the beneficiaries of his redemptive work on the cross. In establishing a covenant in his own blood, Christ brings together diverse groups of diverse people. I mean, just look at us today. You know, we come from all backgrounds and walks of life, and we're, the, the thing we have in common is not specifically family ties, even though there are many big families in here who are related by blood, but the blood of Christ. That's what brings us together. And so he's kind of, in a way, exemplifying what happens in the economy of the kingdom of God is, hey, you guys are going to take care of each other. And so in Mary's case, her particular need in this moment was not only to look on Jesus as her son, but to look on him with faith and fully embrace him as her Savior. Jesus was able, yes, to substitute his role as a son with John. He said, hey, John can take care of you. And John did. Church history tells us that. But no one could substitute or replace that the role replace the role that Christ plays as our mediator before God. It was a great honor, of course, for Mary to have given birth to the Messiah, but it never would have saved her soul. So in this scene, number one, we should notice that Mary was given a new role. She was given a new role, almost with like an adoptive son. And just like any of us, she needed to trust in Christ as her Savior and her Lord for salvation. And this really exemplifies Jesus' teaching that he gives in Luke chapter 11, verse 27 through 28, where Jesus was walking through a crowd, and you know, people would often yell things at him, various things. One woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. And he turned and he said, Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus was not disparaging his mother. He was not trying to disrespect his mother who bore him and at whose breasts he did nurse. He's not denying that it would have been an honor to have carried the Messiah in her womb, but he's making a point that outside of hearing the word of God and grasping in, in faith, you are missing the true blessing because you are missing salvation itself. And that's the case with his mother. And that's really the case with, with any mother and with, with everyone else in this room, that God calls you into the blessing of fellowship with him and with one another in his kingdom. And that's really his calling for the first church, the early church, and his calling to us today. That's, in the, that's the context in which he offers himself as our Savior and our Lord. And so, what eventually did become of Mary? We have a little bit of indication that, yes, the disciple John did take Mary into his home, and he did take care of her, and he cared for her needs. And it was very loving and kind of him to do that because he recognized that it was a command of the Lord. But after that, did Mary take a place of prominence among the disciples? Did she write memoirs and say, you know, this is you know, this is my experience of raising the Messiah? 
It doesn't seem that she did, not that you know, we know of. Rather, we do have positive proof, though, that Mary became part of the early church. Acts chapter 1, verse 14, talking about the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost, tells us that Mary was among the 120 people originally gathered together in the church on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And what was she doing? Was she telling her story about how great she was? No, she was, she was praying. Acts chapter 1, verse 14 tells us this, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Notice that she was still identified as the mother of Jesus. But this is really Mary at her best, devoting herself to the Lord, devoting herself to prayer, devoting herself to meeting with the local church. Mary found her profound identity, not in simply being the mother of Jesus, but being a follower and a believer of Jesus. She found her identity in the community of believers. I love what um, Klaus Schilder, the, uh, the Dutch theologian, who actually wrote some great books on the, on the suffering of Christ, he did write significantly about Mary. And he says about Mary, Mary finds her glory and her consummation, not in the exceptional circumstance which raises her above the plane of all women, the motherhood, namely the motherhood of Jesus, but that which she has in common with all believing women, her being a member of the church. The greatest honor a mother can really have and contribute is, yes, you're bringing forth children, but also being a follower of Christ, being a member of the church. So what do we learn from this passage that we can apply to our lives on Mother's Day? Number one, simply that motherhood is honorable. Motherhood is honorable. Scripture tells us this. Proverbs, you know, this is a passage that's usually te- taught on, on Mother's Day, but Proverbs chapter 31 gives us a great portrait of a great woman and a great wife and particularly a great mother. And it tells us that her children rise up and they call her blessed. And so scripture greatly commends motherhood. It gives honor to mothers. It is an honorable thing to a mother. And it's a good thing to celebrate mothers on this day like we have. And in just a concrete way of of God really appreciating mothers and honoring mothers, when God seeks to illustrate his care, his loving kindness for his people, often he turns to likening his own attributes of love and compassion to mothers. For instance, one passage of, of many you can probably pull out is Isaiah chapter 66, verse 13, which tells us this, as one whom his mother comforts, the Lord speaking, so I will comfort you, you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. So it's good. And it's right to appreciate mothers. It's good to mark a day on the calendar. It's good to call your mom. And if you, you haven't called your mom today or told you you love her, you absolutely need to do that. It's, it, because motherhood is objectively honorable. And secondly, more to what I just said, secondly, children owe honor and care to their parents. It's really it's a scriptural mandate, but it's also something that should be motivated by Christ's example for us to, to emulate in our lives. And of course, we, we know the commandment. We know honor your father and mother. 
That means, of course, you know, give them honor. Don't disrespect them. Listen to your parents' advice. If, if at all possible, go and seek their advice first. I think that's, that's something with it. Don't complain about them to your friends and family. Don't say, oh, my, you know, my rents. Or people don't say rents anymore, right? People, I, don't, I don't want to say my, my old man or my old... I don't know what kids say about their mothers. But don't complain about your parents. But most importantly, and more related to our passage today, is to care for your parents. Don't neglect your parents' care. Jesus modeled this, of course, by entrusting Mary into John's care, but it's also embedded elsewhere in Scripture of how we should take care of our parents, especially in their, in their older age. Paul tells us this in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 4. He's talking specifically about the care of widows, mothers who have, who have lost their husband. He says, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Notice the terms in which he couches it, not simply that it's honorable, but you owe them this. Look what they've done for you. They've given the very life you have. And so therefore, you should make a return to them. You, you, you should do this because of what they've done for you if for no other reason. This is pleasing in the sight of God to take care of our parents. But lastly, and a point for the mothers who are listening, a mother's greatest honor comes from the Lord. Maybe you've made mistakes as a mother or you feel insecure, kind of as I mentioned as a mother. Am I, am I doing things right? But you should seek approval and you should seek even redemption from the Lord. I think the, also, the opposite can also happen where, where motherhood, and, and I've seen this in several cases, where motherhood is everything. You know, that the marriage isn't great, but it's all about the kids. And, and you think, you're, you know, motherhood is kind of an idol as though it itself can grant value and worth. But she, we should remember, and all mothers should remember, that value and honor comes from the Lord. And that's true really for any of us. But for mothers, just remember, your value doesn't come from your kids. Your kids are going to mess up. Your kids are going to make you angry. You already know this. You can be proud of your kids, yes, but honor and your value and what you're looking for at the end of your spiritual walk is, well done, my good and faithful servant. Mary would say, as we already read in Luke chapter 1, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Let's pray. Lord, again, we thank You. We thank You for your whole counsel. And we thank you for the things that you say that speak to our particular situations. Lord, I do pray for mothers in this room. I ask our particular blessing from you on the work, the day in and day out labor they do as mothers. I pray that you would encourage them but Lord, we also ask for your comfort for them, for their sufferings. Lord, we ask you to be near widows. We ask you to be near those who have lost 
in this past year or in past years, someone of great love to them. Lord, we ask you to comfort mothers whose children are maybe prodigals or wandering away from the faith. Lord, teach us all to seek our value from you. Teach us all to wait upon you for the forgiveness of our sins. To wait upon you to speak peace to our hearts when the world is in turmoil. And so, Lord, we continue to seek you. And Lord, we continue to worship you in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.